morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have tuned in for our 12th episode of The Artful Nutmeg. Today's episode is near and dear to my heart. Today we're talking about Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag. The Dutch manager joined the Reds at the end of the 21-22 season to turn around the fortunes of the club after what was United's worst ever season. With this past season being his first in charge, he was lifted. He has lifted the more storied side of Manchester back into Champions League contention. I am one of your hosts, Tom Ferguson, and with me is our other host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how's it going? Um, so I've I've taken a couple liberties with this. For for one thing, uh, I've I've named this episode "Going Ten Hog Wild" because this is. My my punishment episode, essentially. But, you know, I, I want to say, you know, I, I added a couple flourishes in this uh, to make you happy, especially naming, you know, Manchester United, you, the more you. storied side of Manchester. Um, but I, I, you know, it was I'll take that all day. <laughs> I, I don't do a ton of research into uh, other Premier League teams. I, I usually keep an overall look into things, but I never really deep dive uh, into specific teams outside of Arsenal. So it was kind of interesting to get the last like, you know, two or three years kind of like in summary of of what it's been like and um sort of what we talked about in pre-show is that there is definitely a lot of pain involved but also a lot of hope too because uh looking into um what the squad is looking like for next season it is looking very strong but i mean you could say like the this top probably five or six is probably one gonna be one of the most hotly contested uh, in Premier League history, just with uh, the moves that Manchester or uh, that uh, Arsenal has made, uh, picking up a couple really uh, needed players, and then with Manchester City just looking absolutely dominant, uh, United could be, yeah. you know, very much in those talks. Uh, you know, in that top three, I'd say uh, it's going to be a very interesting season, but enough, enough waffly waffling uh, over that. Um, we're going to dive into the mind, the history and the philosophy of Manchester United uh, manager, Eric Ten Hag. So who is Eric Ten Hag? Uh, Eric Ten Hag was born in Hoxburg, Netherlands, and began his playing career at Dutch club FC Twenty in 1989. He spent his playing career as a center back and moved around clubs in the first and second divisions of Dutch football, known as the Eredivisie and Eerstedivisie, uh, or is it Eerstedivisie? I, I, that's, I, I don't know. Do you know? Uh, Eredivisie. <laughs> Eredvedzi and Erste. Erste. Okay, the Erste Divisi. That's, that's, that might be a bit more German <laughs> pronunciation, but that's how I read it. Love it. <laughs> um, anyways, throughout the 90s, he moved between those two leagues uh, kind of as a journeyman. Uh, following his retirement, he took on the coaching role at 20s Academy, initially overseeing the U17 team followed by the U19 team until 2006. From there, he was appointed as the assistant manager and worked under Fred Rutten and later Steve McLaren until 2009. He then joined PSV as an assistant under Rutten once more. Ten Hag began his managerial career in 2012 when he was appointed by Go Ahead Eagles, which is a great name, where he led the club. It sounds like a like a NSL or it USL really theme. does. It's it's awesome. I that is I love original like soccer team names. That's great. Um, but he led that club to the Eredivisie in his first season. Then he joined Bayern Munich two in 2013 and gained promotion to the Regionalliga Bayern in 2014. He returned to the Netherlands in 2015 as sporting director and head coach at Utrecht. In 2017, he joined Ajax, where he won three Eredivisie titles, 
two KNVB domestic cups and led the team to the semifinals of the 2018-2019 UEFA Champions League. And might I say, that was a pretty magical run by them. I was very much rooting for them in that time. Do you do you remember the second leg they had against, uh, I think it was Real Madrid, I, I, where... They, I think it was Tadic who actually today just put in his notice to leave IX. Oh, wow. um, he's leaving as a yeah. He said he's not happy with the club, so he's leaving as a free agent. Oh man! But he scored like one of the most ridiculous free kicks I've ever seen. It was like over near by the corner flag. Uh huh. And he just hit a top loop like curve Ooh. that went over everybody and the goalie and hit the back top. Oh, net. an Olympico. Oh, it was beautiful. That's awesome. Like, one of the best. But yeah, so then that brings us to 2022 when he was appointed manager of Manchester United. But let's just sort of pause this for a second because you you are the expert in this episode. I've had to do this dive. I've had to do this research. But I don't have, like, that that deep-rooted knowledge or, or that, you know, heartfelt uh, sort of familiarity with Eric Ten Hag. So, uh, yeah, what what can you tell me about this period? Well, it's so interesting because I'm already in a guy that I know, you know, quite well, who is the manager of my club. I've already learned something I didn't know about that he was actually a center back. I thought he was one of those coaches that came up that didn't really play. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually really surprised that he was a center back. I mean, he was a bit of a journeyman. That's fine. Um, In a league that isn't really one of the best in terms of not exactly Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, that can go on. But, I mean, one thing that's really cool about where he is now in terms of his growth, he, as we pointed out, he ended up becoming an assistant manager and worked under Steve McLaren. So now... Actually, for Man United, Steve McLaren is his assistant manager at Man United. That's wild. And Steve McLaren is, so he's sort of overtaken him. Steve McLaren, um, ex-England coach, mm-hmm. international coach, and was also the main assistant manager for Fergie uh, during his reign at Man United as well, which is crazy. That's interesting. Um yeah, yeah. So they brought Steve McLaren back because there's something about his um, Ten Hogs. One of those coaches that he goes to the training camps, but he doesn't really have like all the input in. He's not one of those guys that leads. He watches, says a few things, but he doesn't. You know, he's not day to day. Where Steve McLaren is a is a full on trainer. Oh wow! Um, so it's really good that he's brought him back. A funny thing, though, about him being at Bayern Munich 2 in 2013, this is the exact same time that our not-so-good friend Pep Guardiola was uh, the head coach of Bayern München. And that was, I mean, that must have been a great learning experience for him as well there, is to get some sort of insights to be that close to Pep as well. Um, So even though... I hate to say it. He did. He probably did learn some things from Pep. If anything, it was some camaraderie among amongst beautiful bald men. Bald is best. <laughs> Shout out, bald is best. <laughs> there's a there's a great Man United account I follow that does sort of like ad libs um, for like highlights of the games, and it's called Bald is Best, mm-hmm. and it's an abs- it's an absolute treat. I'll have to send you some of the videos, but quick shout out to them for sure. For sure. But continuing on, um, so in 2022, uh, Eric Ten Hag stepped into quite the situation. So what was the state of Manchester United before his arrival? Well, the 2021-22 season for Manchester United was supposed to be a statement year for the club after falling short of the Premier League title at the end of the 2020-2021 season. The prior season was known for the runaway success that Manchester City accomplished, but United had shown a lot of grit in uh, to challenge City for the top spot halfway through the season. However, a bevy of ties and a couple of painful losses kept United at bay at the end of that season. 
In the summer of 21, Manchester United brought back its former star player, Cristiano Ronaldo, who left the club 12 years earlier for a world record transfer fee to Real Madrid. On top of the return of Ronaldo, United spent 85 million euros to bring Jadon Sancho from Borussia Dortmund, and they also brought Rafael Varane from Real Madrid uh, for an undisclosed fee. Despite some big additions to the team, the attack, midfield, and defense, United uh, United start to the season quickly turned into a nightmare. After a strong start, United suffered a heavy slate of losses from September 25th to November 20th. The day after a 1-4 loss to Watford, Manchester United sacked their coach Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and replaced him with Michael Carrick, who served as caretaker. Rafe Ragnarik uh, was appointed as interim manager until they could figure out a permanent replacement. On April 21st, 2022, Eric Ten Hag was appointed as the permanent manager to take over at uh, the end of the season. Uh, unf- ultimately, United under Ragnarik uh, finished sixth in the league, which put them in the last available slot for the UEFA Europa League and set the record for their worst ever points finish in Premier League history. Now, Ugh. there is a, a lot going on here. So I guess in in one way, you know, what did you feel, you know, the, the year prior, just falling short of of that title finish it well and and truly it wasn't just falling short i mean i mean manchester city ran away with it but there was that yeah they glimmer (laughs) halfway through the season where it looked really strong uh that united was gonna do something so yeah in the 2021 season obviously the two powerhouses that had been happening for the last couple years were obviously Man City and Liverpool, um, who on the co-op, you know, were looking fantastic. They won the league for the first mm-hmm. time. Um, COVID season, so it doesn't True. really count. Um, <laughs> and they also, I mean, they won another Champions League yep. as well. Um, so those were really the two top dogs. Man United had, you know, gotten rid of Jose Mourinho, mm-hmm. uh, brought in this this backup you know this backup striker that used to play for the club but had also scored the most important goal in the club's history he scored the winning goal for the treble uh in 1999 and you know under all it was a lot of (laughs) i'm laughing because a lot of a lot of people and fans such as myself um to this day, we don't really know what his tactics were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like you know, there's play out the back. There's counterattack. It was it was a get more counterattack. But the joke with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was uh, that the tactics were you know vibes. Yeah, whatever the vibe was <laughs> uh-huh. is what we went with. Um, and you know, he had a really good he had a really good first first year his interim. Then yeah. his first year on, he did really well. Um, Martial and Rashford both had over 20 goals that season. Yes. Which, considering Martial, is crazy. Um, so we're going into this this 2021 season where, you know, it's going really well. Second place, mm-hmm. Liverpool, you know, getting over Liverpool, we're thinking this is the next step. Yep. And then we hit, you know, 21-22 season, and immediately it was sort of like, we're winning the games we're not supposed to win. Yeah. But we're losing the games that we're supposed to win. Yes. So what and what was going on or or what was, uh, you know, sort of the vibe there? I mean, and especially with, with uh, Ronaldo coming back. Yeah. Like, so Ronaldo's, Ronaldo's return was really big. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it literally made me, I was so happy on that day. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing was, is he had a really good season, Ronaldo. It's just that the entire team had to change to play to him. Okay. Um, because he was not able to do the fast counter attack type vibes that Ole Gunnar had, had been so successful with. And the reason why, to get back to why we were being the teams we were supposed to lose against and losing against the teams that we were supposed to beat is 
you know, we had we had a very quality squad that was not good at holding the ball. Mm. Um, we couldn't break teams down. So, you know, we would play Sheffield United. We would play um, Watford, you know, Burnley, those teams that would sit back yep. and are like, you can have the ball, but you got to try and you got to try and score on us. Mm-hmm. And that was something that all and, um, you know, the team weren't able to do. Whereas when they play teams like Man City, granted, when we play away, we get absolutely thrashed. But we were able to soak in the pressure, and then we would have our fast wings, you know, be able to charge up on counterattacks, and that's how we would win games. Um, so with under all, it was very difficult. And of course, bring Ronaldo in. Yeah, he scored, I think, twenty six goals or something that season. Mm-hmm. But the entire team had to change because of Ronaldo. Because all wasn't going to sit Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, he should have eventually, but he couldn't. And yeah, so the whole team had to conform to him and that made it really difficult to be able to do what was working. Uh, and yeah, it, from there, it just went all downhill. It was a really, really bad season. So then drilling into that further, they have that game against Watford. They lose one to four. And what really bad game. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, th- I think already, you know, like, I mean, this is post super league. This is, you know, probably height of everyone being sick of the Glazers at Manchester United. And, you know, now you have just, you know, a, a team in shambles at this. I think they were probably what at, at 15th place or something like they were. They reached a really low depth. At a certain point that yeah, season, they had they had a really bad drop yeah. that sort of made it look like you know, are, is Man United done as <laughs> right? You know, one of the top teams in England. Um, what I mean, one thing that was just so bad about it was that someone who I was someone who, if you know, guys and listeners who, there was the whole all in, all out. Mm-hmm. I was someone who was. All in, all the way until the Watford game. Yeah, um, his last game, I was like, you know, it's not truly his fault. The his owners have failed him, which could still happen to Ten Hag if they continue on. Um, but yeah, I mean, his owners failed him. But when it got to that Watford game, it was like this team needs to be gutted and couldn't change completely. Um, so yeah, it was it was probably probably the worst Manchester United I've seen. Um granted I saw majority was fantastic. Yeah. But it it was definitely like this is not the club that I remember supporting. So then kind of going forward uh with with Carrick taking a, a brief spell as caretaker, with Ragnick stepping in uh as as sort of like the end of season interim coach. Um, guide me through like how you felt with those two stepping in and then eventually as like you know Ten Hag kind of started entering the picture or you know was it something where like right. he was were you familiar with him were you excited about it you know was it something that was sudden or was there like some some build up to him eventually joining the the team right so for I'll start with Michael Carrick um he actually has the best record in Manchester United manager history, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, three wins and one draw. Wow. Um, he, he was doing great. And then he was like, by the way, I've been working right after right after he retired. He went into the assistant coaching role. Yeah. Um, so he was like, guys, I really need a I really need a break. Wow. Um, but those games, I mean, he beat Chelsea, he beat someone else that was really good, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in Europa. And then he tied against like city or something. Yeah. Um, so he had, he had a tough four games, but he did really well, but also, it was again, you know, playing off of vibes. Um, <laughs> but when Ralph Ragnick came in, this is the guy that coached a number of big coaches. Yeah. Um, 
He's a guy he coached Pochettino, uh, Nagelsmann, wow. Tuchel, um, a, that big group of German coaches that are around today. Mm-hmm. All learned under Ragnick. Uh, so he was sort of he's like the godfather, yeah. of the certain way of playing. So we were pumped. I was like, great, this is going to be fantastic. Um, but the honestly, the way he tried to implement his play into a team that was so toxic inside and already kind of broken. I think everyone won the season done with my favorite, my favorite thing about Ragnick is he's a, he's one of those brutally honest Germans. Uh-huh. Um, I think my favorite, it was, you know, why, why is Martial not in the, um, is not isn't in the lineup this weekend because oh he said he didn't want to play so he is not in the lineup this week. <laughs> Fair enough, you will love it. That's great. No, because and Marshall was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, but no, so then, um, yeah, I guess moving on to uh, Ten Hag. So, what was the build up to that, and and what was the feeling when he eventually took over? Right, so what was huge about Ten Hag was we knew he'd been ultimately successful at Ajax. Mm-hmm. We knew he had a strategy, the way he likes to play, that would, A, if he gets a chance to do it, would change the team. Um, he, you know, If he gets the chance to actually implement his system, and the team had the players to work it as well, and also knowing that he would be able to bring players from that Ajax team that was so successful mm-hmm. and, you know, watching how that team played in th- those quarterfinals against Real Madrid, people were excited. It was going to be either him or Pochettino, and the fans were super divided. Um, people were like, well, you know, Pochettino is prem proven. He got Tottenham to a Champions League final, which is basically a trophy for them. Um. Yeah. So people were really divided, but ten. I don't know. Something about Ten Hag that was that was very interesting. He felt more of a of a pep um, type of coach that really you know balled its best. Um. So he he really had the type of grain within him. So when those rumors started coming out, obviously fans were divided. But when he got ultimately signed the fans were all behind um that was probably the best the best part of it was that everyone was really set for ten hog system and his philosophy that he's going to bring out so ten hog signs with manchester united in april and then he comes in in the summer and he's got a lot of work ahead of him so what changes did he implement Uh, For last season. Well, one thing to know about Eric Ten Hag is that star power was never really a factor to him. As a matter of fact, uh, the big egos in the locker room were becoming a hindrance to the team. In the early stage of the summer, Ten Hag showed the door to the likes of Edison Cavani, Jesse Lingard, Nemanja Matic, and Paul Pogba. Not only that, but he allowed several players to leave on a free and sold five players for undisclosed fees. Eventually, in November 2022, Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo parted ways. What's also Best thing crazy to happen is... to the team. <laughs> Best thing to happen to the team. What's also crazy is how far Anthony Martial has fallen at Manchester United. Former United boss Louis van Gaal... Uh, spent a record transfer fee in 2015 for the then teenager who made 196 appearances for the club between them then and 2022. However, Ragnick considered him surplus in the 2022 season and sent him on loan to Sevilla. He scored one goal in 12 appearances and it wasn't even a La Liga goal. Last season when Manchester United saw him struggle once again with injuries throughout the entire campaign. So, he obviously like okay we we talk about all these names getting sort of flushed out and you said it earlier you uh you you said that really the the entire team just needed to get gutted and and Ten yeah. Hag was very cognizant of that so he lets out just 
monster monster now some of them were very much in the twilight of their careers specifically Cavani so you know he really was in kind of this okay yeah it's dead weight we don't we don't need it now he got rid of a rid of a lot of players but he was also incredibly active with the uh loan market so he brought in uh loanies to really kind of like shore up the team and and he kind of adapted his style to the squad so during that summer, what is going through your head as far as like all of this happening? In in terms of the outgoings with um, you know, Cavani, Matic, and uh Pogba, mm-hmm. Cavani is it's so interesting because the first year he was with us, he was fantastic. Yeah. I think he scored four game winners in the season. Um, you know, playing on the vibes tactics. Yep. And what happened the next season in the 21-22 season was that he would always be injured. Yeah. <laughs> but he was always available for Uruguay international games. Uh-huh. Which which I found interesting. <laughs> and it was sort of you gain the sense that these were guys, Pogba was one of them too, that you know, Pogba was always injured, but you would see him playing basketball with Tyler Hero in the Miami Stadium. Yeah. Like and it's like, but you've got a leg injury. Um, so for the for those guys, they seem like guys who didn't believe in a project, um, weren't willing to give Ralph a chance or Oli for that matter, and we're sort of happy with the Man United high salary that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Um, so their outgoings are great. Matic was old and wanted to go back to Mourinho. So that was great, too. <laughs> Very okay with that. Um, but it's, with Ten Hag, sorry, go ahead. But I, oh, sorry, I did. But it's wild because they were just released. It was just like you know, it wasn't even like trying to put them out on the market. It was just like goodbye, see you later. I, I'm sure you know. In yeah. a way, United had to buy out the remainder of the contracts. But man, that is just wild. What was important was that these were guys that. We're happy to get, take the paycheck, but they weren't happy to play for the team. Yeah. Um, and what Eric Ten Hag saw in that was, you know, what's the what's the point of keeping these guys around? Like, why would we even want to give them a renewal or even try? Mm-hmm. Um, which honestly was the, as I said earlier, this was a team that needed to be gutted. Yeah. And you know, those are some positions that need to be gutted, and we're still. In in that process of gutting some of the team that yeah. were sort of just like, you know, I think Tony Martial is one of them. Um, I think Maguire needs to be one of them. Yeah. He his wages are so high that no one even wants him. Um but yeah. We just got rid of David De Gea, which yep. is huge. Yep. Um, which we'll go on to talk about later. But mm-hmm. it was nice to see that Ten Hag was ruthless in terms of what he was going to accept and what he wasn't going to accept. And that we saw in that summer with the signings that he brought in. Yeah. So moving on, uh, let's take a look at what his strategy was throughout the season. While Ten Hag is such a systems-oriented manager, he showed that he's not afraid to trim the fat and adapt his philosophy to the given roster. At Ajax, Ten Hag preferred an attacking-minded approach with a high press and an anchored defense with the help of a defensive midfielder. He runs a 4-2-3-1 that typically transitions to a 5-forward on attack. However, he did not have all the pieces to run this type of offense in his first season at United. David De Gea was one of the best goalkeepers of his generation, but his style is too traditional for what Ten Hag likes. De Gea tended to keep his line and struggled to play out of the back and push the team forward using short build-up play. Unable to adapt to Ten Hag's wants, they switched to long-distance distribution in the midfield uh, or to the wings. With this in mind, Ten Hag had one of the deepest-lying defenses in the Premier League last season. Regardless of how he had to change his style to fit his roster, he still showed an incredible ability to coach up players beyond their abilities. He fostered the growth of a resurgent Luke Shaw, who became a much more consistent fullback. 
He also helped grow Marcus Rashford's confidence to become a much larger threat on attack last season. And he has spurred the likes of rotation players Alejandro Garnacho and Juan Bissaka to become legitimate competition for starting positions. So kind of going through that, you know, looking at, uh, you know, just seeing the players, these players uh, grow within their positions and, and really flourish throughout a, a pretty turbulent time with United, uh, how were you feeling as the season progressed? I think the the best thing about it is what you picked up with his ability to coach players up. Um, he's shown tremendous... What's the word? Trust, basically, a uh-huh. lot of trust within certain players. Um, that would be Casemiro, who he knows can do a job. Lissandra yep. Martinez, who got a lot of flack at the beginning of the season for being a 5'6 center back in a Premier League where uh-huh. the average striker is about six foot. Yep. Um, you know, people thought he would get knocked around, but he held his own and he put that trust in him. And yeah, became a little pit bull uh, yeah. in the back, which was fantastic. I think he's re- resurged, or not resurged, but brought it to the next level for Luke Shaw, who has undoubtedly made himself the left back for England at this mm-hmm. time. Um, and yeah, we talked about, you know, Wambasaka and Garnacho. Really cool story, actually, about Garnacho. He was a. When Ten Hag arrived, Garnacho was one of the youth players. He just won the youth cup uh yeah. with the U eighteens, U twenty ones. Yep. And there was this whole thing about Garnacho's attitude, how he was impatient, he wanted to go up, he got angry really easily, you know, impulsive. A, your regular teenager. Yeah. Um and Ten Hag and Ten Hag and Bruno Fernandez were actually the two people who really stuck to him. That was like, yeah, like you're good, you're talented, but you know, get get your crap together, get your head mm-hmm. right, because um, this isn't going to last if you act this way. And we saw it this season or this past season where he really came to be the sort of next potential, possibly star player. Uh, to come in uh, he's good on either side of the wings he's scored some really important goals mm-hmm. um and it doesn't it doesn't hurt that he, you know he's out right now training or this last month he was out training with the argentinian first team uh because of the season he had so it's it's really promising and you know we hope to i hope to see them build on it um yeah that's that's about it. Yeah. So speaking of promise, you know, what does the future hold uh, for next season and beyond? Well, for next season, Eric Ten Hag will hope to be more aggressively ta- or aggressive tactically with a four three three formation. While David De Gea was a stalwart for United over for over a decade, United will let him go in hopes of landing Inter Milan keeper Andre Onana. Onana would be a change from De Gea, who typically pay- played it safe, and instead will fulfill a sweeper keeper role, which will keep the defense playing forward. What this could potentially allow uh, Ten Hag to accomplish is to implement a higher press uh, and playing out the uh, of the back, which will present uh, more scoring opportunities for his offense and reduce space for counterattacking play. Dallow and Shaw will likely remain first choice fullbacks. Shaw has flourished under Ten Hag's system as both a natural left back and as a backup center back with his ability to move the ball forward with technical prowess and remain cool in defensive duties. However, if Ten Hag wants uh, to up the pressure, Malasia can add some killer speed on this as a second choice left back with Shaw moved to the center. On the right side, Juan Basaka is a tackling machine who boasts a 92% win rate against dribblers. He's uh, a stellar backup. Dallo is simply a better choice for his passing ability and uh, on attack. 
and Martinez and Bahrain will make for a great pairing in the center of the defensive back line. While Martinez is a consistent defensive mastermind, the only question is whether Varane can stay healthy. Now, we'll kind of pause here because, yeah, I kind of am curious. Now, there's a lot of pieces that still need to get put put together. Do you think uh, Varane can stay healthy this season? Do you think uh, United needs to maybe look for a more consistent uh, presence in the back line uh, in that central defense. Uh, What are your thoughts there? Yeah, so honestly with Varane, obviously his first season was riddled with injuries under Ole and Ragnick. Um, We basically, I think he played a total of 20 games the entire season, somewhere around there, which is like not what you want. Right. but last last season he played almost all of them. He had a knock in January, which kept him out for a few games, but that was fine. Um, because I mean, honestly, not McGuire, because McGuire is shambles right now. Um, Luke Shaw was actually the preferred center back on the left side rather than McGuire, which is crazy. Um uh, that that really showed how much Faith he does not have in Maguire's ability to play in that position. Mm-hmm. And then on in terms of Veron's side, the right side of center back, uh, Victor Lindelof would slot in and has been fantastic. Um, he's actually another player that really benefited from Ten Hag's sort of uh, coaching, individual coaching to him. So I'm, I'm really happy to have that backup. I I don't know if we need to get another. We probably should. You know, there's a lot of games coming up. Yeah. In terms in terms of the right back situation, it's so funny. Um, Man United fans always have this joke that if we could just combine Dallo and Juan Basaka into one person, we would have the best right back in the league. Yeah. <laughs> if we could just do that, we'd be fine. Um, I I. Funnily, even though Dallow is the starter, um, because we want to be more controlling in games, we play more teams that are worse than us than are better than us. So we're going to be on the attack more. Dallow is going to be the guy. But Wambasaka is, in my opinion, the best defending right back in the world. I it, that that might be a hard shout, but mm-hmm. I truly believe it. His tackle ability is so crazy. Um, but his attacking ability is absolute piss. Yeah. Um, it's awful. So what what really needs to get worked on is that. Um, yeah. so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to see, and especially Arnana coming in, that's gonna be really important. He's an ex Ten Hag guy. He was the goalie at Ajax. Mm-hmm. Um he's very good on the ball. Like he can dribble like a midfielder. Um so I'm I'm very much looking forward to see how that can work out. We just need to get that deal uh, over the line at time of recording. He's apparently on the dotted line, but the pen has not hit the paper yet. Now I've I've heard United's been rebuffed, but this is again we talked last week about you know the the transfer window and how much these rumors cycle in and out and like one like one hour you'll hear a player his name is on the dotted line next hour you'll hear no that you know uh, such and such club has said that like they're they're it's too much or it's not enough money blah 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 that sort of thing so do you do you think they'll they'll land them is is Onana is he in oh, the cards? Nah, nah. <laughs> What's my name? Oh, nah, nah. Uh, I, I think it's all but done. He yeah. already had, he had a, they posted a picture of him having his farewell dinner in Milan, um, which makes it clear that he, like, that he's leaving. Is it to us? I haven't heard anyone else rumored. Um, and they had a conversation today, which was basically to work out the payment structure of the deal. Yep. Um so it looks like it's going to be 60 million with about 10 of it being on payment plan. Wow. Um I mean me me who is a notorious glazer hater is you know fed up which is just like pay it just pay it. Yep. Like just get it over the line because we don't <laughs> want to have a De Gea Real Madrid fax machine problem. Yes. <laughs> I like like just get it over the line. Otherwise, we've got Tom Heaton in goal, and that's not going to do anything. Um, 
So I think it is done essentially, but I'll feel a lot better when I see him holding the shirt. Well, hopefully, but moving on uh, to the next session to the midfielder uh, or the midfield, we've we've touched on it briefly. But as far as the midfield goals, uh, Casemiro and Fernandez are a pair of stars who are impact players in their own right. Now that the Red Devils have got their man Mason Mount, United could be gearing it up to have uh, one of, if not the best midfield trios in the Premier League. Uh, this will fit nicely with Ten Hag's plan to have an anchor midfielder in Casemiro, an all-out attacker with Fernandez, and a free-roaming midfielder who can support attacks with Mount taking on that role. With that kind of setup, Ten Hag will play with a unique two attacking midfielders look while on offense. This means that he'll have five players who can stay forward and five who can stay tight in the back on defense. Now, if you kind of think about this visually, it's almost like two W's stacked on top of each other. You got like a wide yeah. W in attack and then a tight W uh, behind that. So uh, do, do you think this, this means magic as far as the midfield goes? I think it's a really good idea. Uh, Mason Mount has good stats on both defense and offense. Casemiro, who surprisingly scored a good number of goals mm. last season, um, I think he had his best ever scoring season as a player, which is hilarious. But then again, he was on Real Madrid, so he didn't exactly need to. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I think it'll really mean something if we're able to bring in a striker. Um, you know, there are rumors about mm-hmm. a, uh, a, <laughs> a Holland, if you ordered him on which, or if you got store brand Holland, uh-huh. um, Holyond. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> store brand Holland. Um, who is this 19 year old who's plays very similar to Holland, but he's right footed. Um, that would be any, you know, he's Danish, so, or, or is he Norwegian? Can't remember. One of the two. Yeah. Um, so that, I think he's Danish, confirming. And he would be a great get. That's something the team really needs is a striker. Um, you know, the points were for the team were midfield, goalie, striker, which are three of the hardest um, positions to get. I think that trio is good. It, it's definitely one of the stronger ones in the league. I think Arsenal also has a really good one. Yep. We'll have to see how Kai Havertz fits. Um, it looks like he's going to play a number eight role as well. So they're going to, he's going to, same sort of idea as Man United with Mount and Bruno. It's going to be Kai and Odegaard. Yes. Um, and then obviously Declan Rice is coming in yep. to Arsenal and we got Casemiro. So we'll see that, and then you know the three the three attackers up top who will be left wing, right wing, striker. So you know I think especially both those midfields, Chelsea is going to do a lot of work. Liverpool yep. just did a couple signs with Mikasi and Shobalai, uh-huh. uh, the Hungarian kid from RB Leipzig who is twenty two and has been on the map for a while. Um, I'm, and then, of course, Man City. Let's just not even talk about them. <laughs> um, <laughs> just out of spite. Um, that those, I mean, the top six midfield. It's going to be nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. Minus Tottenham, who I'm just like, I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> what do we think of Tottenham? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family-friendly so, show, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you know the so, chant, you can sing it at home. Exactly. Uh, but I, so, you know, kind of getting on to, you know, that attacking third. So this is, it's not quite, well, you know, I, I wouldn't even say the defense is that shit. I think if they sign Onana, like, it'll be, it'll be solid. But, you know, on attack, uh, United will have a strong trio as well and could see a shift with one of last season's bright stars, Marcus Rashford. Ten Hag could move Rashford to a lone central striker position with Anthony and Sancho shoring up the wings. 
with Sancho's future in the uh, uh, with the club in question, United does has a have a solid backup on the left side with Alejandro Garnacho. The only thing in doubt is whether or not United goes for Rashford, Rashford up front or if they buy a true central striker in the transfer market. Now, I've I've joked with you before about uh Neymar, there's also a bad oh my god of of Harry Kane. Um but yeah, like how are you feeling um sort of with that setup? Does does Rashford get shifted uh to the middle or, you know, what what do you think about that? Yeah, so what I've what I've looked at is um, obviously Rashford is our left winger. Yeah. Um, the team plays in a way that the striker and the wingers are able to, during the game, sort of switch in and out depending on how the player is going. Mm-hmm. Um, Rashford, if he needs to, can go up top. It really depends on what happens in the next month or so um, because obviously we need a striker. As I was talking about Horian. Yeah. Uh, if he were to come in, would he be an immediate impact? I I doubt it, but he would definitely be better than Val Veghorst. Uh the horse. <laughs> and <laughs> the horse. And um, you know, but also it's important that we don't try to overload Rashford for like the third season in a row. I mean, he had to get surgery on his back, uh not last season, but the season before. And the joke was, well, yeah, he, I mean, he had to get back surgery because he was literally carrying the team. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that again. With Sancho, I think this is my last year of giving him a chance. Um, I really like him. And yeah. his his highlights is what he did at Dortmund was so great. He's one, he's like, was one of the best, English prodigies, mm-hmm. um, but he's just had a lot of, he's had physical and he's also had mental issues. Um, last year, I mean, he missed three months of last season because his head wasn't right. Yeah. And he actually went to the Netherlands and went with one of 10 hogs, like doctors and spent like three months in the Netherlands in the wilderness. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. That's super crazy. Um, so he did that, but he came back and we didn't really see it. So this is sort of the make or break season for him. Mm-hmm. As as for Anthony, he's still getting used to uh, playing the league coming from the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, I would like to see him a bit more attacking on the ball and actually running defenses. He's more susceptible to having a run yeah you know when the team's on a run going down and then just stopping and passing back which we i want to see less of yep but then again with garnacho what's special with him is he has that that teenage mind of i'm invincible and he takes on as many people as he can uh he doesn't care if he loses it which is great uh that's what you want so you know the it's it's really up in the air the attack what it will look like in a month and a half um the month actually as of today 714 the league starts in exactly one month so there's there's time but not that much time to get someone in yep um so yeah we're gonna have to see we yes and i you know i will say you know having done this little punishment project uh i will admit i i may have gained in appreciation a a larger respect uh for for what united has gone through uh in the past couple of seasons i think particularly uh ten hog um is is one of those admirable coaches uh, he he is not flashy he's not a loud mouth he is um very much about his business and uh i you know just sh- just knowing what he did uh gutting the team you know f- of of really um kind of can- cancerous players i suppose uh yeah. shows that yeah he's he's gonna do whatever it takes to uh sort of shape the club into what 
he thinks it should be uh you know sort of glazers be damned like he's going to oh, God, uh, yeah. uh do this his way and and that's um very awesome to see i'm definitely going to have a keener eye uh i would say on on united's matches this season and i am very excited uh for it to kick off like you said in a month that is so crazy um right but going on to into news i don't have this in the show notes right now but i'm i'm sure you're aware uh of the deli ali interview that went up yes. the other day oh my god this is uh it was with was it gary or phil neville it was gary gary, gary yeah it was on the overlap um <laughs> which is a series that gary neville does with uh, ex-footballers, current footballers, yeah. and basically you get to know them a bit more. And in sort of like when we were kind of dreaming and scheming uh, of this show, you definitely wanted to do like a Fallen Footballers episode. And particularly you you kind of singled out uh, Deli Ali. And, and that's because, um, man, you know, around 2016, uh, 17, when he uh, really like hit the league he just kind of came out of nowhere and just seemed like a a savant a prodigy just like someone built for the game who was going to reach its upper echelons with your mbappes with your messies with you know the the greatest players to play the game and then uh, you know, a couple years later, just very much uh, it was a, a, a gradual decline um, with injuries, with, you know, some off the field problems and just, uh, you know, seemed to be like an overall attitude that that kind of fed into um, some, some suboptimal play. And, right. you know, people were like, yeah, it just seemed like it, it was just kind of like off the field issues that kind of plagued him. But then, it, you know, with this interview, it turned out this guy has had probably one of the most traumatic lives that you can, you know, sort of imagine uh, a footballer to have. And, you know, it, it starts, you know, with, uh, you know, sexual assault at six uh, being shipped to Africa at seven, um, you know, having split up parents and alcoholic mother and then uh, selling drugs at eight years old because like, you know, that's sort of how they did it. No one was really, you know, it was projects. Yeah. Busting up eight year olds. So like he was kind of doing that and then eventually found his way uh, back to England Um <laughs> trained and played with MK Dons and sort of gained a surrogate family in that time. Um, and, and then, you know, then eventually at 16, like really started to flourish. Well, I guess at 12 was when, you know, things started turning around for him, but at 16, you know, he got adopted when he was 12. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, at 16, 17, like that's when like things really turned for him. And then, you know, gained unimaginable wealth and, you know, uh, had a, a sterling, uh, you know, sort of start to his career uh, with um, Tottenham Hotspur. And then things have just like gone so far south. He, he went to Turkey for a hot second. He's been back at Everton and uh, it's just, yeah. yeah, he's had a really rough go of it, you know, since, you know, probably 2019 up till now. My my buddy uh, Johnny had a very good point about Deli Ali. He has only had from between when he got adopted and when he hit the scene in the football world, he only had about four years of stable life. Yeah, I mean four years of a family, things are normal. That was about it. And then it was sort of thrown into the limelight and suddenly you're this huge football star. You're playing for your country. You know, you're on one of the, let's not say one of the best, let's say a (laughs) good team. (laughs) Sorry. Uh This is a Tottenham. This is a Tottenham hating podcast. Exactly. The banter never stops. (laughs) The banter will never stop. Um, So for a good team in the Premier League, and, you know, sort of 
every suddenly you start you had no money growing up and now you have tons of money and yeah he he got caught in some nefarious situations um that we don't need to go into details here but you know and then when he wasn't performing at everton he got shipped off to uh galatasaray which i called the the super league the gulag league yeah um because that's sort of where players go to die um it's it's a very difficult league to be successful and to revitalize someone's career in. Um, but if uh, I'm sure we can put it in the show notes, um, the YouTube link to it, if you get a chance, yep. please go and watch it. It's yeah, it's gripping stuff. Yes, absolutely. And um, in in sort of lighter, very lighter news, um, the UEFA confirms that they uh are changing up their uh, Champions League tournament style uh, for the 2024-25 season. And what this means is that they are going to do a fully seated knockout format that's similar to tennis. And that uh, it's essentially it's going to be based off power ranking. So like the way it's been done is that they, you know, have the groups, you know, essentially pots uh, where they have four teams on each group. And then they have essentially uh, one of those powerball machines that literally just throws up a tennis ball and then it'll have one of the teams named on it. And then they just seed the groups that way. Uh, Now it is going purely on a power ranking uh, style. There is also uh, some stipulation in that. um, uh, So there was country protection where essentially they wouldn't uh, have two teams from the same country face off in early stages of the knockout round. However, that is not going to be the case anymore where essentially you can have early, you know, England versus England, Spain versus Spain clubs, you know, clashing early in the rounds. Uh, However, they are going to determine that political clashes are going to be avoided. So um, kind of, yeah, you know, a, a, different format it's going to be uh an interesting thing uh have you been following this or have you have you sort of looked into uh what's going on with this yeah i think it's really interesting it's um if you if you remember sort of how the super league was mm-hmm. um the uefa uefa took by the way if you haven't watched that documentary it's on apple tv it's so good it's so good um there's for listeners there's a there's a thing about the whole super league situation when a bunch of clubs tried to basically make a vip section of football um where they weren't going to take part in european competitions that were under uefa anymore and basically had their own situation and it was all the richest and biggest clubs which eventually would or categorically kick out all the other clubs um Mm -hmm. Which, you know, cornering the money and the profit for all of it. Um, but the, what UEFA has done is sort of a Super League type idea. Um, this idea of power rankings. You have your European coefficient. I, I, I mean, to be fair, I was happy with what we had. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see what happens. You know, if it's successful or if, you know, in the first year we're like, wow, like, it's kind of, there's no, there's no stories. There's no IX getting to the semifinal. There's no, uh, Leon making it to a semifinal. You know, there's no sporting making it to the quarterfinals or the semifinals. Um, because that's, that's the beauty of football is we want to see teams like that, that, you know, Inter Milan made it to the final yeah. this year. No one saw that coming. No one guessed that. Um, so what you know, what you really want to see are things, stories like that. You don't always want to see the best team playing the best team because it's the love and the uncertainty of the game that we want. So I'm I'm very interested in what will happen. I would definitely want to see what happens. Um, otherwise, I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah. But up up next, we of course have. PSG is in the need for a striker with the possible leaving of Mbappe, who nefariously decided to tell them that he won't be signing an extension Uh uh, 
when his contract is up next year. And let's just say they're pretty pissed. Yeah, they're pretty pissed. Um, so Mbappe is up on the on the trade block. They want to get him to a team and get the money immediately as quick as they can. We'll have to see if that even happens. Who can even afford him? It's about two hundred million. Yeah, um, which is an an insane insane amount of money. But up for replacing Mbappe in the striking position could be Bayern target. Next main United target is Harry Kane, who is currently at Tottenham, obviously the best player. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can't see it, to be honest. Yeah. But it, it, it'd be cool. I, Tottenham's downfall is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we are actually coming up on time. So we're just, you know, the, honestly, news has been uh, kind of light. You know, it, I think like next week we're going to have a lot going on with the women's world cup starting united states uh, uh they they got uh hammered out of the uh gold cup by a panama squad now if panama you know uh they're they're good like they they have always been like kind of stiff competition for the u.s uh in in past iterations of the tournament uh in in usual usually in qualifications as well so you know in in on top of that this is also a heavily downgraded uh, uh united states squad that's mostly mls players uh you know so you're not seeing serginio des and pulisic and and those players sort of uh making making the squad because obviously you know they are training with their european clubs now uh and getting ready Pulisic just signed for milan yes so he just signed for milan so he's gonna be playing for them and so you've just got uh a lot going on with you know the european league starting up like we said in a month um but matt turner he's turning out for the usa however uh things are looking Kind of, kind of worrisome, uh, you know, with his time at Arsenal. You know, he is very much, he's a great. Well, okay, I would say in terms of like, you know, United States goalkeepers, he is a great goalkeeper right now. Uh, but Aaron Ramsdale, uh, is is just fantastic. He, uh, won uh, the twenty twenty three Keeper of the Year with some London publication or something like that. But anyways, uh, Ramsdale has been very very good for Arsenal. So that just you know it it makes things a little weird uh for for Matt Turner and and sort of like how things go for him, especially with his you know performance in the uh, national team. On top of that, uh, Trinity Rodman is bullish on a third World Cup, uh, successive World Cup win uh, for the United States. So, uh, you know what? I'm I'm with her on this. I'm excited. And I am also including a link to uh, the Women's World Cup Central uh, on The Athletic for anyone who subscribes to that. Uh, that is a good place to sort of follow anything. Uh, do you have anything to add as far as like those news stories? Do you, do you still, do you want to get a jab in on me? Uh, you know, get, get, you know, sort of lift up the lionesses before things kick off next week. Yeah, we're going to absolutely tear you apart. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what would be really cool? I would love to see a USA England final. That would, that be, would incredible. be so awesome. I don't care if the game is at 3 a.m. I'm watching. Yeah. Um, they're both two fantastic teams. USA has obviously dominated for the past decade. Yep. Um, so it it's nice to see that as women's soccer grows around the world, which we want to see, that there are other teams that are making it a little bit harder for the U.S. to win it. So I'm hoping that England can be one of those teams that can really challenge for it. So I'm really looking forward to it. It starts really soon, actually. Yeah. In about uh, two weeks or so. No, it is uh, next week, I believe. It. it you Ooh. know what? So here's the thing. You you see your... God. You do your brunch and Barbie. You do your cocktails and Oppenheimer. <laughs> and then at about nine o'clock... Uh, you can turn in, uh, tune in for United States versus. Oh, who are they? T- uh, is Vietnam. It Vietnam. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. If you want to tune in after you know a full day of that stuff, Barbie, Barbie, <laughs> Offermeyer. Yeah. 
Just bombs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, bombs and rockets. It's it's World Cup season. I love it. But anyways, we are gonna this has been uh a a kind of kind of a whopper of an episode, and I've had a lot of fun with it. But Tom, where can the you good, did what was that? You did very well. I'm, I'm very, I'm very satisfied, and uh, congrats. I'm even willing to. D- this was such a fun episode. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't actually mind doing an Arteta episode. Now, so <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll set up a mini bet. Like who's doing better end of December? You know what? I would say uh, whoever gets the um, dual, uh, or whoever wins best of the two uh, Premier League matches between Arsenal and Ooh. Manchester United. So like you can do one on Arteta or you know if if god forbid I I do the the class of 92 or you know something like that. We could so, um why don't we why don't we make it like uh aggregate score? Okay. So Ooh. we'll make it like two legs. So let's say um like last season last season you beat us uh-huh. what was it? 3 to 2. So no, we beat us two to one and we won three to two. Right. So we kind of we won on aggregate. We won five to four. OK, yep. So we could do this season. Who wins on aggregate? Because, um, yeah, I, uh. I can. <laughs> you know what? I can live with that. That sounds that sounds really good. Um, but yeah. So <laughs> closing this out, Tom, where can the good folks find you on social media? Yeah, so guys, you can find me on Instagram at tiferguson94. And then, of course, on Twitter, you can find me on Snitch McConnell. And Daniel, please let us, our good folks, know where they can find you and the show. So, yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Daniel605Wise and on Instagram at uh, Professor SDFC. I haven't figured out twi- uh, threads yet. I don't know if threads is going to make it. It's I, I can't I can't engage with it. But um, you can also find the Artful Nutmeg at uh, the Artful Nutmeg on Instagram and on Twitter. But anyways, Tom, it's been awesome. Uh, thank you to all who listen to our show and support us. Remember to be well and watch more soccer.